Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting talking about how ways of looking at spreadedness, and I talked about the need, um, need, uh, the math, mean absolute deviation, yeah, which I said was cool, but not that cool. Um, so there has to be another way to do this, and we all know what it is. How do you get rid of negatives? Remember we had, remember the mean absolute deviation was the sum, uh, whoops, that's not the summation, so the sum of the scores minus the mean over the number of observations, right? And that all is intuitively pleasing and wonderful and it doesn't get us anywhere, unfortunately. It, it actually has some use, but not much in the kind of stuff we're going to do. So the other way to, because if you don't have the absolute values, you get a zero. So the other way to get rid of negatives is to square them. So you square the deviations. Um, like, like I said here, negative 9 squared is 81. So a negative times a negative is a positive. It's nice to see that no one looks confused by that. I have had that reaction, but then you have to go back to grade 4 and teach people that. So here we go. So what I've done here, there's our deviations from our mean. Because numbers were over 1, 5, 9, 20, and 30. Um, and I'm squaring them. And now I get negative 12 squared is 144, negative 8 squared is 64, negative 4 squared is 16, 7 squared is uh, 49, and 17 squared is 289. I sum them, I divide by 5, and I get 112.4. Yay! So, and this shouldn't surprise anyone because you've all seen this before. But, but, any questions? Yeah, we're good? Okay. So you've all seen that before. Um, 112.4 is a mighty big number for numbers like 1, whatever it was, 1, 5, 12, 20, 30, whatever that was. 112 seems a bit big, right? And it is. Um, it's in squared units, not the original units. <coughs> so, when we take the square root, then <laughs> the opposite of squaring something is taking the square root. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the square root of the quantity, right? You learned about square roots, right? I never know. I really don't know what they teach you in math anymore. I'm not sure they teach anything. I'm really not. I, I'm convinced of this. I have to explain what logarithms are every year. See? Logarithms. I don't feel bad. People don't know. I have to explain it. It's like I learned that in grade 10. I didn't go to some special fancy school. I wasn't in the IB program like my daughter. Mm -hmm. I'm smart. What the freaking school? They taught us stuff, you know. And I wondered why would when would logarithms ever be useful? And then I realized, you know, look at look at me now. 
you were right, Mrs. Fowler, I was wrong. So math teacher. So the square root of uh, 112.4 is 10.6. Take my word for that. Or you can do it in your calculator. Or you can look at it and say, that seems pretty reasonable, because 10 squared is 100, and 11 squared is 121. That looks about right. So now we're into the same units, and now it sounds, that actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Because we've got numbers like 1 and 30, and the mean was whatever it was, 15 or something? Or 13? Oh, oh around 10. That's, that looks like a pretty good number. That's actually, it actually is intuitively pleasing. Like, it, it, it comes out with a number that makes sense. This isn't very intuitively pleasing, though. It turns out it's something like this is actually very useful. This is because it's in the same units, right? We've taken, we've squared a bunch of stuff, we've got to take the square root to get back to the original unit. That's all it is. Now, there is a problem here, and of course, you all do, you may not all remember this, but you will in a moment. The formula I've shown you has n on the bottom, the number of observations. See, I didn't even use the word uh, denominator, I said the bottom. <laughs> Hey, I still remember less than and greater than signs as the alligator's mouth points towards the biggest piece of food. So it was a very clever mnemonic our, our teacher taught us. Like three or something like that. And I know that makes sense to have it on the bottom. I really do understand that. And it's wrong. Um, it's supposed to be n minus 1. It's n minus 1. Okay. Now, this is one of those things. This is one of the. In fact, I, I remember taking, well, of course, like 2126. It was called uh, Psych 281 Western. Uh, I think it's called that anymore. But I remember putting my hand up and saying, yeah, but why? I was like an annoying two year old kid. <laughs> right? Yeah, but, but why? And I used to get the same response sometimes it's beyond the scope of this course. And he was right. Dr. Vernon was right. Very smart guy, Tony Vernon. But he was, he was totally right. He's, you know, it was beyond the scope of that course. It was probably beyond the scope of 2126. Um, you can, I can tell you something. That what you want to do with, with, with any quantity in statistics is you want to estimate something. We are estimating parameters with statistics. Parameters are about populations. Right? Statistics are about samples. They go together. Statistics, sample, parameter, population. They're, they're alliterations. They go together. Right? SSPP. Okay? Now, we are trying to estimate a population parameter with a sample statistic. There's a problem. If we use N on the bottom, we end up underestimating the population parameter for what's called standard deviation. Why? I'll explain in a moment. But we know, the nice thing is, we know how, by how much. We know how to fix the, the, the bias. And by subtracting, we do that by subtracting one. It's great. So we know we make a mistake, but we know by how much. There are very few times in your life when you can say, I'm guessing but I don't know by how much I'm wrong. 
The beautiful thing is here, we know by how much we're wrong. We can fix it. And all we do is we subtract one, and everybody's happy. Whoops, I'm going to turn that into something else. That's better. Fix that. So the population parameter variance and standard, uh, variance and standard deviation have big N on the bottom, because they're actual real things. Okay? They are estimates. And big N, in this case, means the, the total amount of observations in the population. The total number of the population. Right? But little n minus 1, that's about a sample. And they have n, little n minus 1 in the bottom. Right? The quantity we gets a little too small. To make it bigger, we just subtract one. Sorry, Daddy, yes? So why would you ever use a population since you don't you actually ever use... You hardly ever know the population. It happens um, when you know the population. Like, if I was only interested in this class, that's the population. But I'm not ever only interested in this class, typically. I'm going to be interested in this class as a representative of all students at the university, and perhaps all students in Canada. Right, as an estimate. Very rarely, actually, are you ever calculating population parameters. And usually it's because you can't. Because the number is so big that you can't do it. And frankly, if you could do it, you wouldn't have to do statistics because you have all the numbers in front of you. You have reality in front of you, the population. Um, so it's quite rare. It's quite rare. It does happen. It does happen that you have a population in front of you um, and not a sample. But very typically, what you often do is you just say, look, I'm going to just assume this is a sample, unless this is very clearly a population. Right? You would never just say, this is a, uh, for sure a population without being told explicitly or, yeah, without being told explicitly. That's a population. Because, I mean, it's either a population or a sample, but we hardly ever have populations for us. And because it's not an estimate, we can actually use the down on the bottom, not little n minus 1. They underestimate with uh, and they underestimate the population parameters, but the beautiful thing is we know by how much. And that's a that's a great thing. Yay. Right? If you can ever know something like that, it's so rare. And in fact, one of the neat things about almost everything we'll talk about in this class is we're always doing estimates. That's in fact inferential statistics, that's what it's all about. It's all about estimates. It's all about making guesses. But we know the probability of us making a mistake. That's the amazing thing about this. Unlike almost every other guess you make in your life, right? Unless it's a multiple choice test, you know, because you can say there's four alternatives, I guess there's 25% chance that it's a pure guess that I'm right. We know that. Right? But very rarely can you make a prediction of any sort and know the probability of your mistake. Of, of that you're wrong. This is the beautiful thing. If, if you follow the American election um, in November, uh, <coughs> the, the amazing thing that uh, Nate Silver did at, at 538.com, uh, he's a stats uh, guy, and he predicted the outcome of the U.S. election, and he got it dead on, and he said, there's a 91% chance I'm right. 
And it's pretty rare when that happens, when you can actually say, I know the probability of me being right or wrong. Right? In this case, this is beautiful. We can fix it. Because we know we're going to be wrong in one direction. We can fix it in that direction. And by one direction, I don't mean that boy band. So the sample statistics, S squared and S, well, you just take the square root of S. I must say the Microsoft equation error is pretty. It does a nice job. Even though I'm using the Apple product, the Microsoft uh, equation error is nice, must say. So you've seen these before. So in our case, S is 11.85. If you want to go through and go through all that arithmetic and check it, I did it right away. Go ahead. Oh, nuts. Looks right to me. The important thing is understanding what I did here, right? What I had to buy my floor, that's all. Well, and you should look at that, and you should be able to look. This is one of those little <coughs> mathy tricks that we were talking before class about using calculators and math in high school and all that stuff. And a couple of us were. And, and, and one of the things, one of the nice things about not using a calculator for a long time is actually you can look at numbers and they can either make sense or not. And 144, the square root of 144 is 12. So 140 is going to be just almost 12. It's 11.85. That's pretty good. You're looking though, I probably didn't make a mistake there. I knew it was useful for us to memorize the squares of all numbers up to 25. That was a great age. This will be useful someday. The math teacher told us. And um, he, he, he was, we had an assembly about the Commonwealth. I don't know. You ever do these things in elementary school for no apparent reason? You had assemblies on things? They could teach you this stuff, but no, they're going to have an assembly about it. So, about the Commonwealth. And we were in like the grade 8 enrichment class, so all we got to do was build sets for school plays. I, mean, I swear that's all we did. That was our enrichment. But um, really enriching. And he was assigning the flags to make. And I have a, I know the flag of every country in the world. I'm kind of a geek. I was an odd little boy. And also, he and he was the Commonwealth countries. He said, you can do blah, 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 blah in Ireland. And I said, Ireland's not the Commonwealth, sir. He said, yes, it is. No, it's not. He said, sure it is. I said, no, it really isn't. And then he, he told me, It's, it was part of it's, it's separate now, but it was part of I said, yes, I know. It, it was the Irish Civil War in 1920. I had last, the night before, watched a show on PBS with the Irish Civil War. 
I said in the Irish Free State, or IRE, was part of the Commonwealth until 1938, and then it became an independent republic in 1940, 1940, something like that. I said, no, it isn't, you're wrong. So I said, he said, then get down to the office. This was always his reply to me showing that he was an idiot. Go to the office, go to the office. I think I actually left. So I, and my mom told me if that's you know, if, he, if he start keeps acting like that, just leave school. <laughs> so I left. Came back and then um, turned out he looked it up and the flag of Ireland was up, so I won again. <laughs> Got it and looked at that. He was later found to be um, doing bad things with students. That's all it's like. Apparently, that's what I've heard. Anyway, who knows if this is true? I should probably edit that out of the podcast. There's got to be some kind of statute of limitations. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, he's right about remembering those squares and numbers. I look at that, go 144, well, yes, that's close enough. So we're good. Uh, for the population, it's sigma squared and sigma. And notice that we got big X and we got mu. Mu is for, the, is for the mean, the population mean, right? X bar is for the sample uh, mean. We got big X, because those are actual numbers. They're from the uh, numbers from the population. And we got big N. Okay. <coughs> All right. So, questions about that? That's okay. Um, how are the variance of standard deviation affected by extreme scores? Extreme. So, Helen <laughs> Kumar. Remember Helen Kumar? Those are those guys that I was walking around. Extreme. Love that movie. The first one was great. After that, it's kind of they all suck. But the first one was really funny. I think you know that guy that works for the Obama administration, Kumar, as a spokesperson. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool. He was like, he worked on the campaign, and they said, you know, you can, that's why he got, he was off, went off of being on House. Oh. Yeah, because he got a job at the White House. Well, yeah, you got to turn down. Yeah, you don't turn that down. Yeah. yeah. So we got our numbers, 159.23. Our standard deviation was 11.85. Okay. Let's throw a new number, say 729. Uh, our new mean is 132.3. Uh, so the mean's obviously affected by extreme scores. Our variance is 8,500, 85,000. And our new uh, standard deviation is 292. Holy Christmas. Well, that makes sense, right? Because it's, it's a calculated quantity. This is one of those cases, in fact, where you might say, you know, the interquartile distance is a pretty good measure as well. Because it's not going to be affected the whole hell of a lot at all. The this is a case where the mean shows you that the mean is heavily affected by, the, by an extreme score, doesn't it? Right? This is, in fact, oftentimes the mean and the median can get used. Now, what happens to the median before it was, well, 9, and now it's 20? Right? And, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. Whenever it's during, like... Um, when people are battling with numbers, oftentimes during political campaigns, but also during like negotiations between unions and management, 
people will use the median or the mean. And they both are kinds of averages. So someone will say, for example, during the last NHL, um, most recent NHL walkout, that the average NHL salary was 2.85 million, which is a lot of money a year. And it is. That's the mean. That's the mean. But if you take the median, and you realize that most guys only play, the average hockey player in the NHL, in that case, we're using the mode, which is really weird. You want to think of the most common. Most guys only play 10 games or less. Right? The average salary goes down to the median, I believe it's about 300,000. Amazing, but that's a lot. Yeah, but the average career is, the average, literally, the mean career life is about two years. So in other words, these guys have to make all the money for their whole lives in two years and make $600,000. That's not a lot of money. I'm not saying that those guys don't make a lot of money. <laughs> I'm saying there's two sides to stories. Think about it. If they said, for example, now we just actually um, approved our uh, new contract. Don't worry, there's not going to be any professor strike. Uh, it's going to be approved by the board, but they're going to. It's no big deal. So we prove our Now let's say it all got nasty, and it didn't, and it never has here, but let's say it does. And we looked and we said, you know, if you looked at the mean, and they said, you know, the average professor makes, and I don't know what the mean is, I can make up a number, $75,000. But the median's lower than that, because we have a lot of people that just started out, and they're making less money. Right? And then we got people like, I don't know, let's pretend that Keo got a big signing bonus. He's making 1.3 million. He's not. Let's <laughs> pretend. I mean, none of us make that kind of money. None of us here make that kind of money. I don't think professors anywhere make that kind of money. Because if they did, we'd all try to work there. Um, you know, but even something crazy, you know, like there are cases, for example, let's say we um, lured somebody away from another school, and when you do that, we don't do that that often, but when, we, when you do that, you have to pay them, right? So maybe somebody's making 150. I don't think anybody's even making that much here. That pulls the mean way up, especially when there's only 55 full-time faculty. Pulls the mean way up. But the median, in that case, is more useful. So sometimes you might say, I want to use the median in a case we have a very extreme score. You could also say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ignore that extreme score. I'm not going to put it in my group because it's a different population that it's being sampled from. Right? If you took away all the, what you would call franchise players in the NHL, the guys that are making the one guy per team that makes the six, seven, eight million dollars a year, the salary actually starts to make a little bit more sense. Not a great deal, but a little bit more. When you realize that most of the guys play for two years and they have to make all their money for their whole lives in two years. Right? The much worse case, by the way, is football. Uh, the average football career is really short because guys get hurt really quickly. And most of those guys never got any education at all. And they, have, they literally have to make all their money for their whole lives in a very short period of time. And it's even worse if they play in the CFL because they make no money anyway. I love watching the CFL because watching the game going, you know, most of those guys don't make as much money as I do, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> and it's not like a wrench. 
All right. Questions? Okay. So means affected by extreme scores, so of course the variance is going to be and the standard deviation is going to be. Right? Because they're functions of the mean, aren't they? They're functions of the mean. So how can we use this to, to our advantage? Like, I mean, well, let's, let's turn it around its head. Well, there's something we can calculate here called the coefficient of variation. It's mentioned in the book. It's a neat quantity, and it's something people don't use very often. Um, this is the Katz et al. experiment that's mentioned in the book, and I believe it's using two kinds of study methods, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I looked at that. Um, yeah, it's if people studied, they got a mean of 69.6. And if people didn't study, they got a mean of 46.6. You look at that and go, yeah, well, that makes uh, quite a bit of sense, actually. But then you look at the, the standard deviations are pretty different. They shouldn't be that different, right? They really shouldn't be. So you might look at that and say, maybe that's because this means better. Right? And again, think about it. This quantity here is affected by this. When this thing on top is bigger, it makes this whole quantity bigger, doesn't it? It has to. That's just the way the world works. That's just simple math. Right? So it's going to make that bigger. Maybe the standard deviation is bigger simply because the mean's bigger. Simply because the mean's bigger. You could conclude there's more variation with studying, which is sort of odd. Wouldn't you think there'd be either the same amount of variation or a little bit less with studying? Right? You think if people knew what they were talking about, there'd be a little less spread outedness, a little less variation when people study. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Intuitively, except you look at that and say, that's not what it says, Dave. You've got to go by the data. You've got to go by the data. The coefficients of variation, what the hell is that? Well, all I've done is I've taken the standard deviation and I've divided it by the mean. Well, why have I divided by the mean? Well, if we're going to standardize it based on what makes it bigger, we divide by that thing. And now we've got 0.152 and 0.146. They're almost exactly the same. In other words, we can look at that and say, oh, it's actually just because the mean. It's simply because the mean got bigger. That's why the coefficient, why the standard deviation is bigger. It's got nothing to do with it's not that people that study are more variable. It's, that it's because the mean's bigger. Make sense? So I just divided the, the mean by the standard deviation. All right? Does, do you see what I did there? Does that make sense? Just took the mean, divided by the standard deviation. I'm sorry. I took the standard deviation, divided by the mean. Backwards Let me get numbers that are exceedingly similar. Yeah, please. According to the book, it was the standard deviation of the one study or of the one group. Yes. And the mean of the other group. It doesn't make any sense. No, I know. No, that's wrong. Unless I'm just reading it. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You could. What did you get when you did, you did that? Well, because he's got 10.6 divided by 6.8, which equals 1.56. Oh, no. He's saying there that one is one and a half times bigger than the other. Okay. 
And that should concern you. You would look at that and say, why is, why is the study group's standard deviation one and a half times the size? Um, but that's not even one and a half times, unless the numbers are different that I have there. Are they different? Yep. Well, then I don't know how we got that. Yeah, that's roughly one and a half, isn't it? 6.8? 6 and 6, 1. Oh, you're right, yeah, 6 and that's right. Yeah, what am I thinking? I'm thinking 2 and a half, 1 and a half. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so it's about what? Because it would concern you. Why is this 1 and a half times bigger than this? That's something to be concerned about. That would scare you. Right? Because. And then you look and you say, okay, I'm going to take this and divide by that, this divide by that, and then we're fine. Because we know that it's a function of that bigger mean. That's what did it. That's what made, the, made that happen. Yep. This is something I've never seen reported in a paper, ever. Ever, ever. But it's something you could look at and say, okay, that, doesn't, that shouldn't concern me. It's another exploratory data analysis technique. Okay, here's a few key points. We want to learn about populations, not about samples. You've got to remember that. Um, but we have to care about samples because we don't know about populations. <coughs> we estimate population parameters with sample statistics. And we want unbiased estimates of population parameters. The beautiful thing is here that the mean is an unbiased estimator of the, the, the sample mean, of the population mean. And the sample standard deviation is an unbiased estimator of the population standard deviation. That's a great thing. <coughs> right? So we can know about a, a population without measuring the population, which is kind of cool. All right. Um, okay. Does that make sense what I just said? Because I'm going to go through these things. There's a few reasons to go through this. One is that uh, it's a sort of conceptual stuff, but also it shows you some notation. Okay, E means, and then whatever is in brackets, that means the expected value of. Okay? <coughs> expected value is just the long-term average, what you would expect if you did something, uh, did an experiment an infinite number of times. So the expected value of X is X bar. The expected value of a variable is its mean. That makes a great deal of sense, does it not? The expected value of a variable, and a variable, remember, it's going to, you can change values. Well, the expected value is its mean. Now, what I've done here is I've added a constant. So plus k. Right, it could be 12. It could be 9. It could be 1,416,203.4. It doesn't matter. It's always the same number. So let's say it's 5. What I'm saying here is, if I take all the numbers and add 5 to them, it moves the mean over by 5. So think about this. You've, you've, we've all been in classes where the test comes back and the class does poorly. And I mean almost the whole class does poorly. Right? And that's when you... Um, when you're you guys, you want something done, and when you're us guys, you look through and find out, did anyone do well? And if someone does well, you realize at least, at least I'm not a complete failure. If I was to add, so x is the score, x is the score that anybody got in a test. And let's say the average was 40. 
kind of just for this people. Well, we're going to add, because we want it to be at least a C, we're going to add 20 to it. What's the average going to be now? 60. It's exactly what that. Now, if you got 20, now you got 40. If you got 40, now you got 60. If you got 100, you got 120. If you got 80, you got 100. I've added 20 to all scores. So the expected value of x now is x plus k, k is the constant, in this case 20. I've moved the whole thing over. The whole distribution has moved. Right? So this is all the scores. See? That's all the scores. There's a distribution like this, and I move them all over. That's all that happened. Does that make sense? What happens to the variance? The variance of x plus k, so again, the scores are spread out like this. If I just move over, it doesn't change how spread out the scores are, does it? If I add 20 to every score, it doesn't change the distribution at all. Right? Think about this. If you, you might hear people say, well, um, people that have a very simplistic view of economics. Well, if we gave everyone $20,000 a year, we'd have no more poor people. Right? Let's give everyone in the country $20,000. Everybody. We'd have no, no, sure we would. They'd just apart from the land go up by $20,000, wouldn't it? Right? We'd still have poor people. Because what happens? Prices go up because there's more money in the economy. Wouldn't change. It wouldn't change that there's still a small percentage up here, right? To have all the money. Occupy. Yeah. Is that kind of like the idea of wanting to move to BC because you're going to be making more money, but the cost of living is also yeah. more, so you're kind of just evening? That's exactly out. right. I mean, that's exactly the case, right? Like, I mean, um, I'd be paid more if I worked at U of T, and I, my house would cost three quarters of a million dollars. So it wouldn't really be any different, right? So, and that's a, that's a very good example, right? I mean, and then you hear people. If they're getting the same kind of work, if there's better jobs out there than on average, but I mean, most people, you end up working in the same kind of industry, and prices are relative to the demand of the economy, and I mean, really, unless there's really no jobs where you live, and that there are places like that. But yeah, that's exactly right. So you still, the variance is still going to be the same if we just add a constant. Now, what I do when I have a low mark in a class, which I don't get, I usually, it all balances out in the end. I've been doing this long enough. Except when I teach intro. I don't know. It just happens in intro. And it, it gets worse every year. That's all I'm saying. It seems to get worse every year. I haven't taught intro in a long time. Because I just get upset at people getting 30. Looking back, how do you do that? Did you do it on purpose? <laughs> Did you try to pick the wrong answers? Because you're below chance. You know what you should do? You should figure out what you're going to say and then do like George Costanza and pick the opposite. <laughs> because it's right, <laughs> isn't it? Because you're below chance. I remember actually saying that to somebody once. 
The only thing I can think of is think exactly what you think is the wrong answer because it's almost always the right one. I don't know if it helped. <laughs> no, I mean, it's the same. It's like I was looking. I don't know. You, how did you get that? If we just threw darts at a four quadrant, we would we do better than you. It's not good. Are you coming? To, do you go to school here? You know, it's a very strange discussion. Now, what I do is I multiply times a constant. I multiply times a constant. So I figure out what the average is. And then I say what I want it to be. So let's say the average was uh, 50, and I want it to be 60. So I multiply it times 1.2. Yeah, that'll give me 60. Why do I do that? Because um, it rewards people that did better more than it rewards who did more poorly. Rather than adding a constant, actually rewards who did more poorly more than it rewards people that did better. Right, because if I give somebody an 80 and I give it 10% and they give it 90, they got only an extra, a 10 and a 12.5% they went up. Whereas the person, if I added 10 to somebody who got 10%, they got doing it by 100%. That's not fair. So I want to reward the people that did well. So I multiply times 1.2 in that case. What's that going to do? Well, yeah, it's obviously just going to be just like this. Now this is where, this is different. The variance, because it's a squared quantity. So what I've done there, I, like, here's the numbers, right? It's going to move these numbers more than it moves these ones out, right? Because these are higher. Right? That's what multiplying. Now, the nice thing is, variance is a squared quantity. So the variance of x times k is s squared sub, k, uh, sub x times k squared. So if I've taken all the numbers, let's pretend in our example here, Remember, we had a mean of uh, 50, and I multiplied that times 1.2. So my new mean, uh, we'll call that uh, x bar prime, equals 60, because I multiplied times 1.2. Um, our new standard, let's say our standard deviation was uh, 10. Make that easy. So our new standard deviation was 10, means our variance was what? Standard deviation is 10, the variance is? 100. Thank you. You didn't use a calculator, did you? You just did that? Good? Okay. Don't tell me if you did use a calculator, please. <laughs> That'd make me sad. Now, we're going to multiply times 1.2. What happens with this? Well, it's 10 times 1.2. So Because if, it, if variance goes S squared times K squared, it's going to be S times K, right? So that's going to go to uh, 1.2. Right? Oh, sorry, 10 point, idiot. 10.2. Oh. 1.2, 12. 10. Move the decimal place over by one point because there's one zero. And the variance then is 144. Okay. Square it. Okay. So multiplying times something moves the, moves the distribution and changes its shape. Adding something moves the distribution but doesn't change its shape. Okay? 
Alright. So questions about that <coughs> before we move on to the stuff on hypothesis testing. Good. Thanks, Dave. Yep. Are we just supposed to get from that that multiplying changes it and adding doesn't, or do we actually have to know? You should know that what it does. Too. Yeah. You should know what it does. Like if you look at this and says, um, it, you multiply the standard deviation times a constant, you get the standard deviation times the constant. <coughs> You multiply, oh, sorry, if you multiply the whole thing, all the numbers, by a constant, it changes the standard deviation times that constant. If you multiply them all times a constant, you get the variance times the constant squared. Right? So, like, if you multiply times 10, it's going to change everything to, let's say the old variance was, well, 100. It's going to be 100 now times another 100. That's just 10,000. Right? So just remember that, that the variance of x times k equals s squared times k squared. s squared is just a quantity you already have. It's the variance. k squared is taking a number, k, and squaring it. Right? Shouldn't scare you, right? Because all you're doing is you're taking, you know, 5 and squared is 25. Right? It, that, that shouldn't scare you too much because all you're doing, like I said, you're just squaring something. You're just squaring something. relationship, right? And you learn this in 2127, right? You need temporal precedence. Causes come before effects. Don't let some postmodern yim-yam tell you otherwise. But what about the quantum effect of the observer? Anybody that says that doesn't know anything about quantum effects. That happens at a level that is so small you can't see it. <coughs> you know, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Yes, if you're dealing with atoms. Much on postmodernism. Just okay stuff for cards. That's where it belongs, along with Sigmund Freud. Just saying. Only Yana is getting my postmodernism rant, but that's fine. <laughs> she has an English degree. Elimination of alternative explanations. Well, that's that's research design right there, right? Pretty straightforward. Do a design a nice experiment. That's going to happen. Design a nice experiment. Covariation or correlation, if you will. Okay. The first two are dealt with for research design. That's 2127, right? That's like we just designed the experiment properly. We designed the experiment properly. This isn't like anything complicated. But covariation. That's not research design, really. That's, that's where we come in when we're doing stats. Here's I made up some data. Look. 
I don't know what they are. So I wouldn't worry about the numbers too much, but take a look. We got group one that has numbers like 57, 66, 67, 67, and group two, which is 72, 62, 64, 79, 81. Hey! <laughs> that was pretty funny. I played football, but that's not how you call signals. You don't just yell out numbers. There's stuff you say. Why does that remind me of four squares on Treehouse? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Mean 66 or 71. 78 is a 785 and 856. Great. Here's a question. Look at those numbers. Don't worry about the numbers. You worry about writing them down. Fine, put them back. And write all the numbers down. Okay, write down the numbers. You're all so happy about the numbers. All of you write it down up here. So the mean. What was the mean there? It's uh, 66.2 and 71. Six and we have standard deviations of 75 and 856. All right. Now we know it is recorded for all of time. Well, until someone erases the blackboard. But we can pretend it will be there forever. Ten thousand years, someone will look at this and say. Well, they calculated something. These people were sophisticated. <laughs> I have a question for you. And if you cannot answer this question, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing there. <coughs> have a Skyrim type thing. Here. You cannot cross the bridge of answering the question. Okay, there's a distribution. Um, it's got a mean of 72. Yeah, I think it's standard deviation of eight. Can't do that with PowerPoint. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? <laughs> Could these two sets of scores, now there's the, there's the mean and standard deviation, so you have to worry about, oh, put it back, I want to write them all down. Could these two sets of scores come from this same distribution by chance alone? Let's look. That means a 66 and 71. This distribution is a mean of 72 and a standard deviation of eight. I designed it that way. There's it it one of them apps on the internet, so I just type it in and it happens. And then I get a screen grab. 70, no, 66, where's that? Well, that's right here. That seems pretty likely. Because this is probability kind of sort of, right? So that's probably going to happen. That's a big part, meaty part of the curve. And uh, 70, oh wow, what's that? Jeez. They don't look unlikely, do they? Does that look unlikely to you? No, that seems pretty possible. That seems pretty possible. Now, do we ever actually know this in real life? Do we actually ever know what population... Well, of course not. If we know what the population already looks like in advance, we don't do the experiment, because we know stuff already. They seem pretty likely to me that they could come from a distribution like that. They could come from the same distribution. If they come from the same distribution, they don't, by definition, come from different distributions, do they? They can't. That's, what we, that's the question we're always asking. Are these two things different? And what you're really saying is, do they, do they come from different distributions? Are they from different populations? That's what you're asking. It's what you're always asking. 
So we, meaning me, just made a decision. If the chance is relatively small, usually less than 5%, we say it's unlikely our, our difference happened by chance alone. And we say we have a statistically significant effect. <coughs> right? Now, we looked at that and we said, no, no, those both come from that big, needy part of the curve where most of us live. That's okay. Those are from the same place. Those, are, those aren't different. Without significance, we have no covariation. So statistical significance is what gives us that third um, criterion for saying we have a causal relationship. It's what allows us to say it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Does this make sense? Is that okay? Does that make some sense? Now, the, the way I did this is as backwards, because we don't typically know, well, what if it all came from this distribution? Well, we don't know that, because if we did know that, we already know the population already. So we don't typically know that. I'm just trying to show you the logic of this. Okay? Okay. What we do is we set up two mutually exclusive hypotheses. Mutually exclusive just means it can only be one or the other. HO is the no hypothesis. Right? And you know this. And HA is the alternative hypothesis. Uh, there was a time when people called them ho and ha, and then ho got to mean something entirely different. <laughs> and people stopped saying ho. I'm serious, people must say that, ho and ha. That always bugged me because it's a subscript and you don't really pronounce it. It's stupid. You know, I'll sometimes see H sub 1 instead of H sub A. That's fine. Um, I would use it if I were using, you know, consistent with my notation. But A for alternative or 1 for is also used for alternative. That's fine. You might see me switch back and forth. But H is the null and H is the alternative. Of course, led to the expression "hos" before "hose." It's not an expression. You made that up. Okay. Now we make these. We get these different hypotheses. One is that there's no effect. They joke. <coughs> come from the same distribution. That nothing happened. Those all make the same thing, by the way. And then we get AJ, which is that something happened. Right? Which is that they come from different distributions or different populations. Now the thing is, the world, there's, there's a decision we make, which is do we do not reject HO or reject HO. No one ever said we accepted anything, by the way. See that? It's a subtle distinction, but it's a real one. We aren't accepting HO, we're just not rejecting it. It's kind of like no one's ever found innocent in a court of law. They're found not guilty. That's a big difference, right? They're found not guilty, not innocent. No one ever said O.J. Simpson was innocent. They just said he wasn't guilty. And we all know he actually did kill his wife. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm going up on the limb. 
Perry might say, you couldn't. Tobin rushed for over 2,000 yards one year. <laughs> How? No. Just because he won the Heisman Trophy doesn't mean he's like, well, yeah, 2,003 yards in 1972. I saw him rush for 279 yards in a game. I said, yeah. But, so? He killed her. Anyway, he's still trying to find the real killers, by the way. He's now going to prison to find them and seeing if they're there. <laughs> Maybe they're there. So it's true, though. Do not reject. This is the same as not guilty, right? It's like when anyone says innocent, they say not guilty. So we don't reject. Well, we reject. I didn't say we accepted A.J., though. I just said we just rejected it. Subtle difference. What you're saying is that probably isn't true, and there's only one thing left that probably is true, but it could be that there's another reason. Right? So it's a subtle distinction, but it's a real one. It's a real one. Now, the thing is, real life, on the other hand, there really is also. Oh, so so when answering you don't us to use lingo like retain, we use that in uh, Dwayne's statistics. Oh, retain is so, fine. Okay. I guess that's okay. I've never heard that before, but if you I don't know, he's that. always saying retain HO or reject HO, so I'm like, got that stuck in retain. my head. Retain? Really? Yeah. yeah, we've heard that. Like, it kind of sounds like you're keeping it. Yeah, you're keeping so. it because you're not getting rid of it. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's more of a... It's a subtle philosophical point, really. I mean, it is a, But no one ever says they... This is why, for example, when you do an experiment and you get and nothing happens, you don't go, I'm going to publish this showing that nothing happened. Because And why is that uninteresting? People don't understand this. It's hard to publish negative results, but there's a really good reason. Because you don't know why you have negative results. You don't know what they mean. Right? You have no idea what it means. You could say, well, nothing happened. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean that something isn't true. It just means that you didn't find enough evidence to say it's not true. And that's, those are two different things. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, the difference was there was good science showing that, that cigarettes cause cancer. Right, and it was more and more of it as time went on. There was this good science in, well, by the time the Surgeon General came with his report in, 19, in the States in 1961, there was enough evidence for the head doctor of the United States to say, yeah, cigarettes are bad for you. Now, talking about individual studies, yeah, you can say that all the time. All day long, you can say it's, less than, it's more than 0.05. And in fact, most of the secondhand smoke research still says that, that it's greater than 0.05. It's still, in fact, typically isn't significantly different, but it's all in the same direction. There's no way saying that. Smoke, for example, is good for you. But no one has shown, actually, that at the 0.05 level, that it's really, really, really bad for you. Like, there's no way it's good for you, and they all go in pretty much the same direction, and we could probably make the conclusion that it's probably not good to sit in a room full of smokers. But it also probably isn't the case that, for example, you know, if someone smokes in Bellevue Park, that they're going to kill you. Right? There's people like that, right? They see somebody, I don't like smoke, I don't like people smoking around kids. It's not yeah. cool. It's not cool. Kids but I mean, developing lungs. Yeah, but, but we live in a smoke steel. day in and day out. Yeah, we live in a steel town. When they're outside, it may not smell nice, and I, and I agree with that. You know, I, I think it's gross seeing a parent at Halloween walking along and they're taking their kid up for Halloween and they got smoke going. I just find it weird. Like, it's just an odd choice to make. It's like, well, they're having blood. You know, they can't change it. I so hate when you have parents standing outside with the strollers, and they're not even, they're talking to their friends smoking, and the poor kid's just sitting there. Like, yeah, but the kid's not, the kid's not getting anything. It's, you know, no, it's just like, just it's an odd choice, though. I agree with that. I agree. It's an, odd, it's an odd choice. But I mean, in that case, you can say, no, there's no, 
chance that that's doing anything uh, harmful. It's more so just smoke on your own time. Why do you need to drag your kid outside in the freezing cold so you can chit chat well, with your friends walking. and smoke? Maybe you're already walking. But I mean, it's one of these cases where you look at individual studies often and they don't go, and that, that's what they would do a lot of times because it wasn't there yet on just actual smoking. Now that's ironclad. Um, the secondhand smoke stuff, I don't know if it'll ever get there because I don't think the effect is as big as it's made out to be. On the other hand, it all goes the same way. It's not good for but it's not that someone that every time someone says the word cigarette, they're worse than Hitler. And that's the way it's also made out to be. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, we have the regulation here at the university that says you can't smoke in front of the building. And that's fine. In fact, I get that. I don't want to see cigarette butts when I walk into work. I think that's gross. On the other hand, they say you can smoke up back. And the reason they say it is what? For health. And it's not for health, it's for aesthetics. Just say it's for aesthetics, I don't care. Just say it because we don't want to see cigarette butts on the ground. I think that's great. That's the same for the, it is the same for the parts, because I don't want to take my kid out mm, to play and they're trying to pick up cigarette butts and eat them. No, but that's, have, um, that's have, have <laughs> You know, people have to litter. You have to litter. If you yeah. smoke, you have to litter. That's the thing. With Bellevue Park, that new rule that they put in about um, you can't smoke in parks, they no longer have any kind of place where you can put cigarettes, so now people are literally dropping them all over the park. Oh, yeah, and I mean, it's, there's... The point is, individual studies are one thing, overall reviews are something else. And to make a conclusion of an individual study, it may be the case that HO is true, that nothing happened. It may be the case that HA is true, that something did happen. But we have to make the decision here. We either do not reject HO or we reject HO. So if we say that HO is, if HO is true and we do not reject HO, we've made a correct decision, and we're happy, except that it's not a decision that we get papers out of. Right? Because we don't know why nothing happened. That's why. It's not that there's a conspiracy. Everybody always thinks, well, I see. This, if you want to get negative results published, you publish them with other positive results. That's what happens. <laughs> if you have... If HO is actually true, but you reject HO, in other words, you aren't pregnant, but the pregnancy test says you are. <laughs> right? Suddenly everyone has experience in the room. Some of you happily, some of you sadly, some of you recently, I don't know. That's a type one error. It's a mistake. Now, it's a bad mistake, isn't it? Because you said something happened and it didn't. You said you're pregnant and you're not. That's at least kind of, it could be a happy event. What if you said you had AIDS and you didn't? It's pretty big. What if you said you published a paper saying there were psychics? Others nine. So you just made a video on yourself, right? Now, this is another kind of error, the type two error. And again, PowerPoint can't do this. This is why I have the coolness of the keynote. There really is an effect, and you missed it. Type two error. That's a bad error in some respects because you could have found something and you didn't. You missed it. Somebody else finds it, they get the publication, you don't, you suck. 
that's no good. Or you're actually pregnant, but the thing, I don't know what pregnancy tests are like anymore, it's been a while. The thing doesn't, the, the app, you just piss on your phone now. <laughs> 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 I just, I really don't know. Um, there's got to be an app, isn't there? <laughs> Something like that. Somebody's, somebody's got to be working on that, by the way. Just pee on your phone. <laughs> and it says, you're not pregnant. Now, that's bad because you don't know, but you will find out. It's not as bad an error, because at one point you're going to go, either I'm really putting on weight in one particular place. Or you're going to end up on I didn't know I was pregnant. Yeah, well, there's that too. How does that happen? Yeah. You hear about these people? I was nine months pregnant. I didn't know. Well, you're just an idiot. Um, <laughs> shit, you see like an elbow poking out of you? have never been pregnant, don't know this, but when you're seven, eight, nine months pregnant, you'll see a little fish. It's awesome. <laughs> it's beautiful. Boy, I must be pretty sick. <laughs> I shouldn't eat so many burritos, you know? But I've been eating a lot of these burritos, which is why I'm getting so fat. <laughs> there should be a license for having children. I, I just, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> You're going to find out. Just like if you get a bad experiment, not even poorly, just by dumb luck, random chance, you're going to have times. You're going to have times where you end up with, you find nothing. It's life. So you write it up and you say nothing happened, like it's your thesis, or, or you just don't write it up because it's like, well, nothing happened. Someone else does it, it works for them. That is a type 2 error. The thing is, it's going to get discovered. It's not as bad a mistake. That's... Do you understand why it's not as bad a mistake? I think it's not as bad a mistake. Yeah, go ahead, sir. <coughs> a situation like, let's say, a doctor is testing you for something like cancer or something like that. Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, I mean... Or AIDS, and you go and spread it to other people. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But the thing is, you will find out. But you not maybe too late. No, no, maybe too late. No, maybe too late. And I mean, what you ideally want is both of those errors being unlikely. Right? You want both of them to be as small as possible. But telling someone they're pregnant when they're not, let's even a better example is thinking about the legal system. Putting we think putting a guilty person in jail, uh, sorry, a not guilty person in jail is worse than putting letting an innocent person go. Right? I mean that's no, we and we all sit here and nod and go, yeah, that makes sense. This is kind of what this is saying. You know, it, the way our system works is that. Yeah, yes, do get off. The guilty do get off now and then. But that's the price we pay for making sure that very few innocent people go to jail. They do. I know it happens. Don't start with me. I know it happens. Right? Because as we know, OJ is still looking for the killers. But. Like having a mastectomy and then finding out you never had the cancer. You know, and that's, and that's happened recently yeah, uh, all over the country. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, this is, in fact, one of the cases where because of the error rates, there are now, the Canadian Medical Association is making um, recommendations that women don't have so many damn mammograms and women don't have so many pap tests. That just came up recently. Because, uh, especially younger women, because they're having so many and they, people get stressed from that. And what's happening is, because of the way the error rate works, people are having unnecessary treatments and surgeries more often. And again, you're looking at averages. So yes, I know that 
Somebody, we all maybe know somebody, many of us know people that have been affected by cancer, and they actually caught it exceedingly early, and they're perfectly fine, and everybody's happy. But there also are people that have had unnecessary treatments, and that's bad too. I mean, in these kind of cases, these giant sort of public health decisions, you have to weigh positives and negatives of groups. You can't look at individuals, and I know that's hard, but you can't say, well, if it saves just one life, it doesn't work that way. Because what if it also destroys a bunch of other ones? Right? Radiation therapy is not pleasant, for example. And if you actually don't have cancer, you shouldn't get it. Pretty easy to find out if there is something or not. Yeah, but this this was a recommendation that just came out last week. Last week, Um, because people are having too many treatments for things that they don't need treatments for. So you know, um, it's interesting though that this is the decision we want. That something happened and we found it. This is what we want to happen. Something happened and we found it because then we can write papers and we can finish our our PhDs, and then we can get jobs, and we can get tenure, and get promotions. Right? Have children, buy houses. Yeah, So would you say type 1 is like a deliberate error? No, good, no. No, 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 it's all mistakes. The nice thing is we just know the nice thing is, when this happens, nothing happened and there's nothing out there, that's okay. It's kind of, it's a, the least interesting decision, but it, at least it's correct. You don't make it any of yourself. Um, when this happens, you've made a bit of a fool of yourself. But the nice thing is, in science, unless you've gone out on a limb and said there are aliens among us. there's <laughs> not that's not, you know, you can't prove a negative. Um, among us, I can tell you it's exceedingly vanishingly unlikely. Um, this error, though, the nice thing is other people will pick it up and, and they'll, they'll try the experiment and they'll find nothing happened. This error, someone else will try it and it'll work. The problem is that you also have reputations at stake, so you don't want to, you want to make sure you say something sensible. Right? The nice thing is, the other nice thing is, we have some control here. We set the probability of a type 1 error. No, we set it at 0.05, almost always. 5%. It's a 5% chance. Our statistics are set up that way. We say there's a 5% chance of a type 1 error. Right? This survey is accurate, plus or minus 2.5 percentage points, 19 times out of 20. Well, that's 5%. That's called alpha. That's a group, small Greek letter alpha. I use the Greek font. The probability of a type 2 error depends on <coughs> n, the number of observations, sigma, the, the standard deviation of the population, and alpha. And it's called beta. Okay. We have control there, but we don't know exactly what the number is. We will talk in what promises to be the most complicated lecture of the course in a couple of weeks about how statistical power works. And that's all about beta and how to calculate it. It's hard. Because you have to make all these weird guesses about what's the sample variance. Well, I don't know. So you've got to make these guesses. We do have control over n. So that's nice. We can make n 
get bigger, more observations. Uh, one minus beta is called is a correct rejection. That's that bottom right corner, right quadrant, and that's called power, statistical power. I don't know why I capitalized it. It's because I like it. I guess. I've got power. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Power. You want lots of power in very. If you get lots of power, you get very small type two error. That's good. What should we set alpha at? Well, 0.05 was what you're, you hear people say that. Um, and that's because of a guy named Fisher. That's the guy that, um, that's Ari Fisher. He, if you were biology, you take any biology, you know what Ari Fisher, first kid selection had. Uh, Ari Fisher invented analysis of variance. That's what we call it an F test after Fisher. And Fisher said 0.05. A guy named Frank Yates, who's an American uh, statistician, when Fisher came up with the F table for um, well, the, for the analysis variance net distribution. And he said, Gates sends him a telegram, because this is before internet, and he sends him a telegram, it's like 1920. What, what, are, you, what are your students working on? What are they calculating? And they say, he said, 0.05. And he said, okay, I'll have mine do the same. It's because one guy thought it was good, and the other guy said, sure. That's why we use 5%. It's the only reason why. It's the only reason why. Be a little more flexible than that. Strikes me. Um, I, I once wrote a paper. I've written many. Well, why well, I've written many papers. Um, I wrote one once, and I, I put in. Um, I, I was going to interpret something because it all went in the same direction as everything else in my article. Everything made sense, and this was the one paper of the one effect that wasn't significant, but it is exactly what I predicted, and everything else I predicted was fine. So I said, but the probability is less than 0.0504. And I, and I said, it approached significance. And I talked about it. And I was told by the editor not to uh, discuss non-significant results. And I, I replied, I could have rounded it to 0.05. And then I thought, I didn't write, asshole. Because um, he's not. He's actually a good guy. But it really bugged me. It seems to me... If everything's going in the same direction and it's exactly what you predict, and you got one effect that's that close, I think it's discussing it's fine. You know, so you'll see a lot more people nowadays talk about exact p-values, actually presenting the p-values, saying it's 0.06, it's 0.07, it's 0.01, and that's the probability of a type one error, and then discussing it like that. That's becoming more commonplace. But really, 0.05 is really the key. It might be the case that what you want to do, think about a public health issue. Okay, think about something like, is the water contaminated? We used to get this in Newfoundland all the time. In Cornerbrook, every spring, that we get a boil order, or as they call it there, a bile order. Um, so the water, you could, you could get Giardia, beaver fever. And what happens with that is you just... Um, you, you, you puke and you crap for days on end. You don't really crap so much as just puke everywhere. It's like it's horrible. So I guess it's got this horrible diarrhea throwing up. It's a horrible thing. So what do they do? They test the water. Well, that's good because you know we don't want that. They didn't set the alpha level at 0.05. 
We said that 0.16, one standard deviation thing. Well, that's going to have a lot of type 1 errors. Who cares? Yeah, the little tiny little bit of inconvenience of having to boil your water for five minutes before you drink it or brush your teeth is better than pooping yourself to death. <laughs> right? And for kids and adults, and, 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 and old people, actually, that would happen. Like, it, it could kill them, but mostly it was just horribly uh, unpleasant. So that's what they would do, and it made sense. On the other hand, if I'm going to say there are aliens, and I've got proof, I want to be pretty damn sure I'm going to go to 0.001. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious, because if I'm going to say something like there are psychics or are there, there are aliens or that I can do cold fusion, I better be damn sure, because I'm just about to make an idiot of myself. So I better be completely sure. All right, thanks, guys. And uh, quiz on first time. All right, so... Oh, great. Now I've got these two more classes. Hi, again.
This podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.